0: The feeling leading up to the moment, I would say, was more depression for three months, where I just knew that something was wrong. And I just didn't feel right, and I didn't feel like I was in the right place. I didn't feel like I was doing the right thing, even though what I was
1: doing was meaningful.
0: And that went on for
1: too long. Hey guys, my name is Yael Feiner, and this is My Climate where I talk to regular people who found their own small way to make a difference. This conversation is with Cheryl. She's 29 years old from BC who decided to live from a van to lower her carbon footprint as a part of her climate anxiety healing path. Let's get inspired. Is climate what is your topic? Is it something that you were always interested in? No,
0: no, it wasn't something that I was always interested in. The environment was always something that I was immersed in, let's say. I grew up in a super small town in northwestern Ontario. It's all rocks and trees and water. And I did a lot of canoeing, a lot of just like playing outside as a kid. My family would go to the lake. So there's always that connection. of nature... I think at a young age, I wouldn't have even said it was important to me. It was just something that I always did. And I don't think I realized until recently how important it is. Like, I'm back home right now as we're doing this interview. And I just want to go to the lake all the time. Like, I just need to be next to it. I just want to be next to it. So I think that part was always there. But the part about climate change probably came in maybe a year or two ago pretty recently so i've been working for a handful of years in public health and i've always felt i've always felt pretty strongly about health equity and making sure that people have the kinds of supports that they need to be healthy in life and be successful in life and for a handful of reasons one of them being the pandemic i basically was only left with my own intrinsic motivators in my job and in my life where I wasn't really hanging out with anybody else. I wasn't really working alongside anybody else. My my job was really remote, consistently working from home through the pandemic. And so because of that, I was really left with just what I wanted to do and nothing that other people wanted me to do. And sometimes that's a motivating factor for me. So I had already been getting more into environmentalism at that point where I wanted to find some products that were less harmful to the environment or had no packaging on them and taking little actions that way. And I was living in Victoria at the time and we had a composting um, system in my apartment building and I was so excited. I was like telling everybody that I was able to compost in my apartment. But slowly, I think over, over the course of the start of my career, that five this years that I've been doing public health I had always had this sense that so there's this analogy that I learned in public health school where there is somebody there's a river and somebody sees somebody struggling to swim in the river and they're drowning so they hop in and help them and then they pull them up and then somebody else comes down the river they're drowning they jump in again save the person pull them out. and then finally this other person goes geez we should probably figure out why these people are falling into the river and drowning. So they go upstream and see that there's a piece of land above the river that doesn't really have a good like fence around it, where people are like going too close to the edge and falling in. So the upstream prevention method would be to just put a fence in there and then people aren't falling off the edge. And so I've always been interested in the upstream side of things in public health. What do you do in public health? A bunch of things. I started in the opioid crisis, which is wild did some dental health work, did some work in sexual health, harm reduction, mental health, and suicide prevention, all the light topics.
1: All the light topics, huh?
0: <laughs> so I'm like the program developer and evaluator. So if they're basically if the, if the evidence is showing us that there's an opioid crisis that a lot of people um have addictions, then my team would look into okay are um, supervised injection services a feasible way to go to support people with mm-hmm. addictions. So we would do the research that looks at is this something that will benefit people? Is this what are the harms associated with it? What are the benefits? How can we actually make it happen? That's
1: very important.
0: Yes, I think it's really important. I think it's important that we pay attention to that kind of work. Because even in my own family, when I would say I work in public health, the the first question is, are you a nurse? And then I say, but I didn't take a nursing degree. I can't be a nurse. But I think the awareness behind that type of work is just, it seems so few. What is this thing? What are determinants of health? Oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. There's more to health than just eating right and exercising (laughs) there are other factors (laughs) that determine whether somebody's healthy it just makes so much sense so i think it's really important but as i kept having this desire to work more upstream and more upstream and then also having this desire to value the environment more and do more on that side of things i realized that our planet is dying (laughs) And if we don't have a planet to live on, then basically all of those public health advances basically don't matter.
1: Yeah.
0: Ouch. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I'm here. How old were you when you realized that? So I'm 29 now. There's probably just a couple of years, probably one to two years ago. It wasn't that long ago. I was was getting more into environmental sustainability on a personal level before that, but not even much before that.
1: Okay, so this is a newish shift, and it's a big shift from working five years and having a clear career path in public health, and then this big, heavy realization that nothing of what you're doing now is actually relevant if... There's no planet to do it on. How do you feel about that? A lot of the time thinking
0: I have clear direction and at the same time, I think back like I just had a birthday last week. And so I was reflecting a lot, thinking, geez, what have I done so far in my life? Have I done enough? What can I do to do more? So I think while I have a great role now that is working in the climate crisis, I still feel like Have I reduced emissions? Have I reduced my own emissions? Have I reduced emissions on the grand scheme of things? Yeah, still something that I ask myself. I imagine I'll probably ask myself that forever.
1: And when you say that, when you ask yourself, have have I done enough, do you feel motivated to do more? Or do you kind of sometimes look at the big picture and say, wow, there's so much more to do?
0: I agree with you that it's hard to stay motivated Seeing the world continue the way that the world is, like we still measure um, GDP as our measure of success of a country instead of our country's health or our country's sustainability metrics. But there's still the big part of me that's like, you have to lead by example. And I'm privileged enough to be able to lead by example, where I know that I would like to tell other people to do van life like I'm going to be doing later this year starting later this year and put some solar panels up on the van and run your appliances off of solar energy because that's awesome but i know that's way less accessible for some people and i know that i'm doing it from a place of privilege i also feel like it would be hard for me to try to advocate for systems level change i think there's a couple things going on one is that it's hard for me to advocate for systems-level change if I'm not trying myself. And then the other piece is that I'm impatient for systems-level change and part of my motivation. So mm-hmm. I feel impatient for it in that some sometimes I think it's going to be so hard to change the system that I want to back away from the system and I don't want to take part in it and I just want to do my own thing which is a big motivator for van life too, in that I don't have to be connected to the grid that is delivering the energy from I don't know where. And instead I can be connected to my own grid, my own personal grid. And sometimes I may have to use fuel for energy, but I'll know exactly how much is coming out and I'll be able to strive to reduce that myself.
1: Yeah. So When I look at you right now, you look so excited. And I wonder what is the excitement? Is it fuck the system? What is it? What is the excitement?
0: I love adventure (laughs) is one side of it, and then the other piece is like being able to take control in a way that I think I've never really felt like I could, because we are people are just so dependent on the systems that we have, and that we this is something that I learned about in one of the sustainability courses that I'm taking right now, but we as people will tend to just rationalize the systems that are bad because we depend on them. And it's hard to see a different way to do things other than the systems that we depend on. So for me, it feels like I'm breaking away from that.
1: What do you mean by rationalizing the systems?
0: The rationalization is basically saying the system is fine because I need it mm. so the system needs okay. to change or there's not enough wrong with the system then it needs to change because it works for me
1: mm-hmm. and my survival okay. is important. Thanks so much for saying that and you're talking about cognitive dissonance and it's something that we all talk about but very few of us are willing to admit that we have that even though all of us have that on some level so this is really beautiful. The reason that it's so hard is that if we are part of the system and the system is bad, that means that we are bad. That means something is wrong with us, that we're doing something wrong. And this is something that is so hard to admit and hard to live with, really. It's really hard to live with that. And I want to ask here if we're really bad, if we're doing something bad, or we are complex human being with Complex decision making and complex lives and we are good in our heart we want to do good so we can't accept and agree that we are bad we can't accept that we are bad because we have good intentions and we do have good intentions but sometimes our actions are just not aligned yet with our values so the first Place to start is where we are. And if we accept where we are, change happens naturally without any effort, without any sacrifice. It just happens because we are tuned in with who we are. So, the first way to address cognitive dissonance or inner conflict, the way I like to call it is accepting where we are and accepting ourselves not perfect and as complex human being. And when we do it to ourselves, don't forget to do it to others around you that are also complex human being and also struggling to change and want to do better just like you. At this point, our conversation went on talking about another common behavior that we all have, which is blaming that we blame the systems, we blame the governments, we blame the culture, and Cheryl had something really nice to say about that.
0: The complaining part is easy because we know something doesn't make me feel good. I know that I don't like this. It's not working. It's easier to it's easier to bash something than it is to build it up in a constructive way. So I could see why people it's do that. It's more like more like venting. So that I feel good enough to continue doing the same thing that I'm doing, which sucks. I think that happens all the time. Like I'm probably guilty of it a lot of the time too.
1: At that point, we started talking about privilege, and that Cheryl feels that she is privileged to act upon climate and to find a work that is aligned with her. And I think it might be a trigger, re. Topic for some. So when you listen to that, really check with yourself how you feel, how your body is, and what comes up to you. And you can have a reflection after that and write down the comments for us to keep the conversation alive.
0: Some marginalized populations are going to be the most impacted by climate change, but I can't necessarily expect the marginalized populations to do the work to get out of climate change. So who am I even talking to when I say turn the complaints into action? I I see the privilege as having the knowledge and resources to make it happen and support to make it happen by that. So I have the knowledge that this thing is cool, that this lifestyle can reduce emissions if we do it right, can open up the door to some really awesome adventures. That sounds like a pretty good combination. And then having the resources is yeah it takes money if somebody's living paycheck to paycheck then they aren't going to be able to put a down payment on a vehicle and get a bunch of building supplies and tools and equipment to actually turn a vehicle into a home and then there's the support side of it where i am working a job that allows me to do this and there if you're working in the service industry where you have to be in person to deliver that service then this isn't necessarily something that you're going to be able to do or if you have a support system that just poo-poos the idea over and over again then it's probably the person is going to be way less likely to pursue those ideas yeah i think i'm privileged in all kinds of ways
1: (laughs) this is such a beautiful place to be this acknowledgement of being privileged and being aligned with yourself. And we many times want to run to the next obstacle, conquer the next success. And it's a place to actually stop and pause and enjoy where you are. And also to remind ourselves that privilege is not something you either have 100% or don't have zero. Each one of us is somewhere on the scale of privilege. There is something that we are more privileged at and something that we are less privileged at. We can judge the privilege on the scale of knowledge and on the scale of resources and on the scale of where we are living and of the scale of our connections and our support and our loved ones and our health. So there is many, many, of course, complexities into that. So if you take time to again, embrace the complexity and embrace that things are not black and white and we're not all privileged 100% or not, that puts things in perspective.
0: So I feel lucky to have what I have. Yeah, I don't know where the balance is there, though. Like, I think there are probably some who are excessively privileged in North America. Yeah. yeah, and there's a balance to be found there that we do not have right now. But I'm in saying that, I'm aware that I'm saying I'm not too privileged. I'm basically saying that in what I just said, and I could see other people who are more privileged saying the same thing, because this is the life lifestyle that I have that I'm comfortable with, and somebody else has their lifestyle that they're comfortable with, and somebody else doesn't have a home. Yeah and I don't know that doesn't sound too comfortable but it's a video about privilege and there's a teacher and the teacher says okay you all start at this at the starting line and if you have two parents that are together take a step forward if you are white take a step forward if you do something else take a step back if you experience this in your life take a step back nice. and then before the race starts then the teacher says, okay, take a look around. Does this seem fair? Does this seem equitable? Should we all, we're all running the same race, but is it fair that we're all starting from different starting lines? It's a good visualization of what privilege can look like, regardless of what you're trying to do in your life, like whether that is fighting climate change or whether that's taking personal actions um, to reduce a carbon footprint, or whether that's like becoming an astronaut, something totally different, but
1: it just applies to everything. Yeah, Yeah. so when we're talking about fairness, I think we want to talk about equity. Because fairness is a place we don't want to go. It's we compare each other, we compare between two people or two groups about one thing, who have more money, who is more successful, who is more pretty... But then forget the complexity and forget all the rest of the things that we need to compare. And we always get out of this equation in a really bad, bad, bad feeling. Um, but I think you want to talk about the equity, right?
0: Yeah, I super agree with that. Yeah, I super agree with that. And even there's a lot of dangers there, I think. Because even in comparing how we outwardly may present ourselves to each other, it's still we still need to trust the individual to do what they can do to their own capacity. I think the fairness piece is interesting and the equity piece is what I'm more interested in, because I think that in order to get to the point where we can all talk about what We want to achieve together and stop comparing ourselves to each other and just figure out how we move forward together we still all need to be in this area like we still we need to be in a general range of privilege together and i think there's a lot of work that needs to happen to make that happen before we can move forward together there's another good uh drawing or cartoon of fairness versus of equality versus equity where kids are kids are trying to watch a baseball game or something but there's big the boxes yeah and I think that's a pretty good that's I think that's a really good illustration of the difference if people are confused or wondering about it because if we all get one box to stand on I'm pretty tall maybe I didn't need the box to stand on in the first place and maybe somebody else needed two boxes to stand on
1: I want to go back to the discovery moment or realisation moment that you realized that you can't keep doing the healthcare thing if if planet is not okay. That there is like much upper stream thing you need to deal with first. What was the feeling?
0: The feeling leading up to the moment I would say was more depression for three months where I just knew that something was wrong. And I just didn't feel right. And I didn't feel like I was in the right place. I didn't feel like I was doing the right thing, even though what I was doing was meaningful. And that went on for too long. And my manager at the time suggested this book. And I read this book, and it's now my favorite book. And it was on, it's technically on human connection. But really, it's basically all about climate change. And I loved it. So the author is Sarah Wilson. And the title is This One Wild and Precious Life. It was exactly where I was at the time. So you know how sometimes if you read a book and you're in that place in your life, then it just sort of clicks. So this one really clicked with me. I was reading it, nodding along. As people around me were saying, I can tell it's a good book because you're going, "Uh uh uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh, as you're reading the book. I just agreed with everything in there. It felt so right reading it. And I can't remember the series of events, like where that fell and then the realization, but I know that was part of it.
1: So your boss uh, realized that you need some help and realized that you are depressed and handed you this amazing book. Or were you able to talk about your difficulty and ask for help? Not really. I think it was
0: probably... Is pretty evident, but I wasn't talking about it a lot. I think that's, if somebody unlocked the key, there were other difficult things going on at that time that compounded on each other that made it pretty hard to talk about. So it wasn't only that, not feeling like it was in the, doing the right thing.
1: So you didn't really know what's going on for you? It was a mix, mix up of so many things and so many emotions?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think compounded. So I felt clear on that. I was just compounded with other difficulties. And then I think having the realization felt freeing in that I knew what I felt like I had to do or knew what I could do that was going to help the planet and other people and also make my soul feel better. So it felt really good to to realize that.
1: So you're moving from anxiety to clarity and you have this voice that something is not right and you need to do something and you need to do something better and there's more important things you can do than public health that are more fundamental to the health of people and the planet. And you change your life. You change what you do. You quit your job, right? Can you tell more about the process but what you needed to go through in that? What helped you? I'll try to tease it all out. One, I think
0: it did not happen in an aha moment. It happened over time. And I also was stuck in that state of depression slash eco-anxiety slash feeling like something was wrong for a while. So I don't want to paint the picture that for myself, it was like a movie <laughs> where There's this main issue and then the hero comes in and fixes it and everything's better. It's way longer than that. Yeah. So I think if if anybody is listening to this and is like sitting in that feeling that I wouldn't expect it to just go away tomorrow. And I hope that they would have some supports around them to help them sit in that uncertainty. Things that helped for me, I went to counseling and talked about it. And I think if you have the support aka money to spend on counseling and if you have the capacity to be that vulnerable because it is hard and there can be other if there are other things going on in somebody's life maybe they perceive that they actually cannot talk about it at the time and i think that's okay too but that helps a lot and that just talking through what we're doing right now, just talking through um, where I was at the time and how I was feeling, and different kinds. I think I went to a career counselor as well, so just different kinds, just trying to see what was out there for me. Interestingly, something that I think provided me the clarity was going back to nature, which I am connecting now. I went on a rafting trip in the Grand Canyon, and it was about three weeks long and i think it gave enough time away from my usual routine to be able to not even just consciously think about things but just sit with things and get some perspective and not have any technology i think was a big helper because like some of the things that you mentioned where people might listen to this conversation and then go off and feed their kids or Run errands or do chores. Some people, myself included, might also just sit and watch TV shows or movies and numb and numb what is going on. And so I think being away from the technology for a little while was really helpful too. And it, yeah, it wasn't even necessarily that I was consciously processing what I needed to do at the time, but it did help just having the space from everything that was normal. And being in nature, being in a place. That was just so beautiful. And that is something that I've always connected with. So it just helped the soul without realizing that it was helping the soul. And then reading a good book about how to engage with environmentalism and how actually being in nature is a good brain stimulator, just going for a walk in nature. It's just funny because I was reading about it while I was in the Grand Canyon. So it's just pairing really well with what was going on. So that was really
1: helpful. It's so amazing to see whenever you talk about the nature, you're so glowing and your eyes are so glowing.
0: Yeah, it must be true. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? That's why I'm going to live in nature. <laughs> it just does something for
1: me. When you talk about the clarity, what is the clarity? What is the voice or the message you, you hear or you get?
0: I think it was the message that I said before. If, I, if we want to enjoy anything else, in this world, then we need to have a planet to live on. That was the voice. If I want to, I don't know, I'm into baking, I make homemade ice cream. So If I want to sell my homemade ice cream, I need a planet to live on. If I want to make arts and crafts, I need a planet to live on. Basically, if I wanna cure the common cold, there needs to be people to cure the common cold on the planet. So I think right. that was the message for me that was resounding.
1: Yeah. and. That's pretty clear understanding and the world view. Do you have also clarity about what you need to do? Was there a voice telling you how you should act? What is your role?
0: I'm generally a pretty philosophical thinker. So whenever I'm thinking about an issue, I like to think about the huge big picture. How do we change the entire system to be useful for what it needs to be useful for? Is what I like to think. Yeah. So I did have that broad, big understanding that there's a problem. And so something that I would do in my previous work too, in my public health work, is that if we are going to undertake a new project, then an important step of that project is doing something called an environmental scan, which is not environmental. It's basically looking at all of the projects in that area that are happening at that time, to see that our project is needed and to see that we're actually filling a gap in the work that's going on and to make sure we're making the best project that we can. And so I took the same approach with moving into the climate action space, thinking, okay, if I'm getting involved in this climate action space, I want to know what's happening in the climate action space. I want to know where am I going to be useful and what is needed. And so Very luckily, I ended up finding the job that I have now, which is basically dedicated to creating new climate action projects and making sure that people within climate action are working together, collaborating, reducing duplication. And in order to do that, we need to know the projects that are going on all around. So part of my role is to basically make sense of all the projects. So I got lucky in finding my role. And... I'm glad it happened and it really helped the tension in my body go away. Finding a new job.
1: Yeah. It's so beautiful to see that when our mind and our heart and our visions are aligned, things are falling in the right place. And like the universe is like organizing around you and everything finds its place. So it's just really inspiring amazing how do you call the climate change in your mind do you call it climate crisis climate emergency apocalypse i like that you added the term apocalypse in there for me personally i
0: think about climate crisis and i think that way because the term needs to be strong enough to recognize that if we don't do something today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that for 10, 20, 30 years, then we are all going to die. And that sounds like a crisis to me. I think depending on who I'm speaking with, the most effective communication method might not be to say the words climate crisis. It's going to reveal the other person's leanings pretty quickly, (laughs) That, that they're either already bought in or that they don't plan on buying in. So I don't think it's helpful to have a conversation.
1: So it's not a good way to start a conversation.
0: I haven't felt like it is. I also try to take the approach of finding common ground in a conversation and going from there. And so I think if leading with something, leading with an opener that's very divisive, it's like going up to a stranger and going, so uh, abortion, hey? And then you'll know pretty quickly how <laughs> <I'll> they react. <laughs> but if I want a reaction, I could do that. If I want a conversation, I might want to do something else.
1: Where do you have those conversations?
0: At work, I feel like most people are on board already
1: because that's yeah. I'm working in.
0: So family's different. I think if I already have a beat on someone, like if I already know, then I'll try to cater to that. So if I think, if I know somebody's already on the same page as me, then I can open with, like, my my town is, the water level is really high in my town right now. So I might say to my dad or something, geez, climate change, and he'll go, yeah, yeah. But if it's somebody that I don't know, I might say, wow, the water level is so high, and look at observational reaction, yeah. facts. Yeah. But I think that's going to be a way longer process to have that effective conversation with somebody who isn't already connected to the issue and that's challenging because i also feel like we don't have time to have we don't have the time to spend to necessarily change the culture that needs to be changed to save the planet the thing that i go back and forth on a lot where i want to bring people along in a good and meaningful way and that is the best way to do things. But sometimes there's no time. <laughs> so if somebody's about to get hit by a car, I might push them. And you're not supposed to push people. <laughs> yeah. But I might because they're about to get hit by a car.
1: <laughs> so when you're thinking about the climate crisis and what we're dealing with, there is a sense of urgency. There's a sense of impatience. And there are thoughts like, not enough time and maybe time is running out. And I want to suggest that those thoughts have a strong effect on us. Every root thought can affect our behavior and our decisions, and we want to be aware of that. For example, when I think the thoughts, we don't have much time, or, we don't have enough time, I might rush all the time. I m- might not bother to cook myself a good meal or act from a place of panic. For each one of us, the effect will be different so we want to explore that and the other thing we want to check is how does our body feels and when i think that thought and i just like take a minute to observe how my body feel that when the thoughts is around my brain and many times we will feel tensed and tight and our breath will be shallower and our shoulders may be tight maybe our jaws are tight so how do you feel when you think about that my stomach is pretty
0: tense right now so probably there and heart and heart
1: so it's not something that we usually do to focus on our bodies and how we feel so usually after a few minutes or a few seconds the thoughts will come up
0: yeah my thought coming up is i i think that there is today enough time i think what the time struggle is moving forward as a collective world or a collective community or a collective country to make the change in the time that we have i think that's what i think about and so i think if we if the world woke up tomorrow and we said i am ready i'm ready to get involved in this climate response and that'd be great and then i would feel pretty good about our future but it's the getting people on board and getting people motivated together that I feel like we don't have the time in the trajectory that we've shown so far in the path that we've shown so far but who knows maybe maybe the world are collective procrastinators or something and at the last minute we'll all figure it out together (laughs) that's not something that I want to believe is true it's not something that I do believe is true But the last-ditch effort, I think something that motivates me is having that picture of what the better future looks like and having key action steps to get there. So I think that is something that I would appreciate or have to look for myself and
1: for others. I agree. Can you share your vision, your picture of how a better future looks like?
0: I think that this is my homework, probably, is to draw a picture of that better future. Because I have more questions and comments around that, too, where I, like I said, I'm very philosophical and I like to think about what is even the meaning of life? Why are we even here? And can we have meaning without struggle? And do we need to be fighting for something to feel fulfilled? I don't think we need to be fighting for our lives all the time (laughs) to feel fulfilled. So I'm going to say I don't necessarily have the picture. I want to have a picture. So maybe that can be my takeaway is to think about that. And maybe I can submit it back to be shared. Because I think, yeah, if if I were to give an answer, it might be more of an in the moment and not necessarily well thought out. But I do want it to be well thought out. I'd want to imagine what that looks like.
1: Maybe you can give one example or one tiny example from a vision you have, because you are a visionary person and you're changing now your life and building a house inside a van to be fully sustainable. So one thing that you can share and inspire us.
0: Yeah. Vision for myself is to starkly reduce my own carbon footprint. So I took a, I took a, an emissions calculator quiz a couple a year ago, or two years ago, to see what my emissions were. And it was like several Earth's worth of emissions is really high. So if I could cut that down to close to one, um, or one Earth of, of my own emissions, then that would be my personal goal for the future. And then bigger picture, I just want to see more cooperation between decision-making bodies that can actually move mm-hmm. the needle on climate action. In giving that response, if I was on your side of things, I would ask for something more specific. What does that actually look like? And that is the piece that I don't have and I want to have. So I'm going to think about it. And I want to think about it.
1: You know, I just want to say that it's really challenging to have a vision. And there is a good reason you don't have a fully organized and picturized vision. I think for having a vision, first we need imagination. We need the ability to think outside of the box and the ability to let go of everything we know about ourselves and about the world, everything that is embedded in us. We need to let go of it and create something completely new, right? And many times when I when I do a process like this, because it's part of coaching, right, uh, with people. They would say, but it's not possible, or, but I don't have the money for that, or, but I can do that, or people are not changing, or stuff like that. And this is the ability we need to think. If I have all the money and resources, if people can change, if, like we have to challenge those things that we already believe in to be able to imagine the future we want. And this is something we we can do together next time if we want And the most important thing is that if we don't have a clear vision, we will never get there. I want to ask you, what would help you to create a vision? What would resonate with me is starting
0: with the big picture and then asking some more specifics from there. I think that would help. I would do that whole visioning session because I'd want to be able to develop my vision. And I have philosophical visions like I would want the measure of our success of our country to be health and wellness amen yeah (laughs) yeah there was a i think the federal government had a survey recently about how we should measure our bounce back from the pandemic and it said should we measure it by gdp should we measure it by small business growth should we measure it by and all of them were relating to like money and i picked the other (laughs) growth yeah and we need to acknowledge that We cannot have infinite growth in a world of finite resources. And if we did that, I think that would be a future I wanna live in is seeing that not having GDP growth, quarter over quarter doesn't necessarily mean a recession. And if we have a recession, maybe that doesn't necessarily mean we're in crisis if all of our needs are being met and if we're still healthy. So that's a vision.
1: That's a vision for my future. Okay. We got Uh, it. We got it. Thank you so much for listening to My Climate with me, Yael Feiner. I release a new episode every Friday where we learn from regular people's stories how to find hope and clarity amidst the chaos. Please sign up to the email list so you can be the first one to listen and get inspired. You can also follow me on Twitter where I help people transform climate anxiety to a purposeful action. You can find those details in the podcast description. See you next time.